Hello, this is Chris from We Hate Bards. I'd just like to thank you for listening to our podcast. And if you like what you hear, we have plenty of more podcast material on iTunes, or you can check our website at wehatebardspodcast.com. If you like what you hear, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. If you want to join any of our games, you can look us up on Meetup at We Hate Bards. Membership is always free, and we have games going pretty much all week. If you want to support us and throw a little coin our way, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash wehatebards. Backers will receive early release podcasts and custom content, including homebrew games, custom modules, and more. So thanks again for listening. And now, on to the podcast. You're listening to another fine We Hate Bards podcast. And tonight... It's just me, Chris, for another solo adventures. And tonight, we are going to be playing, I'm saying tonight, because tonight, is going to be uh, a Path of Legends free mini adventure, The Lost City of the Dwarves, Prologue by Christopher J.A. Young. Now, now there's, I found three of these, uh, like there's a prologue, intermission, not intermission, uh, intermediate something, and then like the, the last part of these uh, adventures. Um, and apparently these are kind of little mini choose your own adventure style game book things and then he has uh two other ones their path of legends a lost city of dwarves part one discovery part two deliverance and i think they're like longer uh books and you can look them up on uh i think drive through rpg press or amazon i would go to amazon uh, by pen and force productions so what we're going to do is we're going to start this thing so in there, there is some basic rules, and they're they're very very similar to uh, Dungeons and Dragons uh, 3.5 or 3.0 um, D20 based, which I got right here. Um, using kind of a D10 or D6 for initiative versus monsters. Uh, they got surprises and sneak attacks. So you roll a D6, and if you get it, you can surprise sneak attacks. Uh, there's one interesting thing is like a potion system, which I found very interesting. It's the only time I've found this. Basically, if you chuck a potion and it gives you some type of benefit, like you immune to fire or something, um, each time you roll, so like it, after the first combat you roll, and if you roll a one, well, then the potion wore off. But if you didn't, it keeps going. And then each additional combat or each additional thing you go through, you keep rolling, rolling, rolling until like six times, and then like the potion just wears out. But so that... You can, like, you know, chuck a potion and it'll still be useful later on. I just thought it was an interesting mechanic. So, let's see here. So, there's damage hit points. I mean, if you ever played a D in Dungeons & Dragons 3.5 game, you know, you've got the the basic stats, which are boiled down to strength, dexterity, and constitution in this. And, you know, you have your hit points, your 8 armor class, which I am 10 plus my dex bonus is 11. I've got a hunting bow and a hunting knife. So, there, there was in here a... Uh, a blank character sheet. You can make your own character if you wanted to. But then they had one you could just play, and it was called Fred the Mighty. And I wanted to play Fred the Mighty, mainly because Fred the Mighty has an 18 strength and a 16 constitution. And you had to roll your dice for to make your own character. And there's a good chance you'd have the garbage. So I was thinking, why chance it? You know, just use Fred the Mighty. So we got Fred the Mighty, who's awesome. He's a level 1 guy, 12 hit points. Strength of 18. Look at those guns. The gun show. A dexterity of 13 and a constitution of 16. So not as strong. It's tough. Plus one initiative. Base attack bonus is plus one. He's got a hunting bow, hunting knife, um, one potion of healing, 
and basically that's it. It's like you've got nothing, like some clothes in your back and like some rope or something like that. So let's go to, hold on, whatever you find a weapon, uh, okay, let's see, right now, get the, uh, okay, I don't think it lets you see what you have here, I just want to make sure I don't get any, like, cool stuff that's not listed on this character sheet, I don't think so, I think I'm just, you know, Fred the Mighty, got some stuff, so, uh, you start adventure with nothing more than clothes on your back, a hunting knife, hunting bow, uh, so, oh, I'm gonna write this down, so, I got some rope, and doesn't know anything about me, excuse me, I am a horrible pack rat when it comes to writing down everything I've ever owned in, on a character sheet, so, I want to make sure that I absolutely got this, I got some rope, potion, healing, and, uh, that's it, so, I'm kind of broke, Fred the Mighty, uh, doesn't have much stuff, so, Ooh, there's a lot of pages this prologue. All right, so we better get cracking. All right, so I'm going to get reading this uh, prologue, which starts out, um, you know, with a great line. So it's, why you left the, for the mountains is unimportant. It says everything. It's like, your backstory, who you were before, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. You're just Fred the Mighty, some hulking brute, coming to the mountain to do something. So I'll start off. <clears throat> Let me take a drink of my... Uh, I have seltzer water for the throat and uh, dramatic, dramatic. Why you left the mountain is unimportant. All that matters is that you are free from the troubles that you left behind. Ooh, mysterious. And while you return to civilization is inevitable, right now you are enjoying the last of the warm summer days, the cool summer nights with a campfire, and the independence to fend for yourself with nothing but the gear on your back that you grabbed on your way out the door, which now seems like a lifetime ago. Ooh, you didn't grab much. You must have been poor. All right. A thin wisp of smoke on the far horizon alerts you to your final destination. Mountain View. Described as either a struggling city or an impressive town, depending on who you talk to. You decide to stay optimistic and go with the latter description. After all, the goal is to make it your new home, where you can hopefully start a new life. For now, however, you intend to squeeze every last bit of enjoyment from your wilderness lifestyle that you've adopted, as long as the weather holds. The town is only a few days' travel from your mountain sanctuary, a distance you can easily make when the weather turns foul. A distance you can easily make when the weather turns foul. Okay, right now you want to make the best of it and see if there's any truth to the local legend of a lost mountain city. Okay, so it's not like you're just a, a wandering murder hobo. You're like, oh, you know, I've left my home and now I'm just going to go to this other city and start new. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, camping in between. The stories, you heard to tell, uh, the stories that you've heard tell that the dwarves used to live in this region around 100 years ago. But then they suddenly seemed to vanish. Dum-dum-dum. Or maybe they went into hiding. Or they were blighted by a terrible curse. They just stopped visiting the surface without any warning. And nobody has found any proof as to what really happened. You hadn't given these stories any serious thought until a few years ago when you found the map in an old merchant's journal. Ooh, it's getting good. All right, the journal was written by a collector of fine military antiques who happened to be visiting Mountain View a few years before the disappearance occurred. She had struck up a conversation with one of the surface-visiting dwarves, and he was impressed with her knowledge of arms and armor. Unable to coerce the dwarf into bringing her back to the city for some trading, she did manage to get a general idea of where it was located. Well, not precise coordinates, the map does give the general landmarks, told by the dwarf himself, and would be visible from the city gates. When I was a young lad on guard duty, I used to watch the sun set on the summer solstice rise over the shattered ridge, shattered shore ridge, to the east, 
and when the mountain's morning shadow would move across the plains below, it looked like a dragon retreating, fleeing from the light of day. I don't know if it was an omen of sorts, either for us or in the mountain, or those living on the plains below, but I never grew tired of watching it. The Mern's entry was made in the late autumn, so she had no opportunity to see if the event for herself, but she did manage to indicate where the shattered sword ridge was and speculate where the sun would rise during the summer's longest days. It was a long shot, but you had nothing to lose, and sure enough, just a few weeks ago you located the ridge and witnessed the sight for yourself. This particular mountain ridge looks like any other from that perspective, until one day you notice how never-melting snow that capped those peaks drew lines and shapes on the granite canvas. The result is a distinct impression of two mighty swords that had clashed in battle and now lie broken and discarded on the ancient battlefield. The next day you woke with the sun to watch the plains below, and as the daybreak slowly lit the land, the moving mountain shadows did indeed look like a winged dragon with gaping jaws, slowly retreating into the safety of the mountains. Hmm. Now that you knew you were in the right area, how hard could it be to find the remains of an entire dwarven city? Exactly. Time to get paid. Suddenly, the faint waft of septic gas yanks you out of your daydream back to reality. For a moment, you dismiss the smell, as you normally would when walking in the lower streets of the city. But then you remember, you aren't in the city anymore, and that odor has no place in the fresh mountain air. After a few minutes of searching and climbing, you find the source of the smell. At a narrow ledge, you can just make out a rusted metal grate covering an opening in the mountainside. It looks like some sort of ledge is missing due to the rock slide some time back, which has exposed the grate and made it visible from ground level. If not for that, and the sudden downdraft that brought you to the smell, nobody would have ever found it. But you did. And after a tricky climb up, you get one more surprise. The grate is also loose. Ooh, time to get rich. Well, the rock slide did you one last favor and left a corner of the metal grate bent and free from the surrounding rock. You can force it open just enough to squeeze through. But then what? The hole is an opening to a deep shaft that runs down into darkness. Too deep, too deep to see how far it goes. And what's on the other end? Although you had a pretty good idea, you toss a pebble down the shaft and listen to it clatter into the mountain. But the sound simply disappears after a few bounces. A larger stone the size of a fist gives similar results, only a bit louder. To follow them, you most like be a one-way trip. <laughs> well, it's time to go for it! Scanning the mountainside one last time, vainly looking for a doorway or some other means of entrance gives you the answer that you already knew. This is indeed the fabled city of the dwarves, and how could not be? You're young, you're gullible. <laughs> then you found the only way in. The journal mentioned uh, that all of the gates ways were well hidden from prying eyes, but in a location the only dwarf could get to. So once inside, it makes sense that there will be other ways out. I mean, this logic is completely, like, kid-level logic. Um, hitting those about dwarves is going to be filled with murder traps. For the mighty is never getting out of this. Uh, <laughs> by tying one of the rope to the metal grate, you lower yourself down the shaft. Oh, there goes my rope! But then you will have no way of untying it, and you must leave your rope behind once inside. That's a... Screw you! All right, I'm crossing off the rope. Crossing off the rope. All right, the, uh, all right. The other option is to climb down the narrow shaft and hope that you can manage to navigate your way by hand and foot, thus keeping your rope in case you need it for later. If you lower yourself down by the rope, turn to page six. If you climb down the shaft, turn to page thirteen. Ooh. Um. Well, hold on. So first, Fred the Mighty. We've already know that he is rather impulsive because uh, he's looking for a dwarven city, like in the mountains. Uh, where they all vanish, and he's basically climbing into a sewer. So, of course, he's going to climb down the shaft. Go to page 13. 
Okay. So, inside the shaft is dark, of course. So, you know, I, I get to keep my rope. Keeping the rope. Keeping the rope. Inside the shaft is dark, of course, and the terrible smell doesn't help. After a few minutes of easy climbing, you were glad you didn't use the rope. And that's when you slip. Oh, damn it. There's a sudden drop and that you weren't ready for. And no matter what you grab, there just isn't any place for you to hang on. Thankfully, you don't have to fall. Uh, you have to far to fall and your backpack cushions behind you. You still take one hit point of damage while striking the ground. <sighs> 11 hit points. Uh, it could have been worse, but the ground beneath you feels strangely soft and not quite squishy soft that you were dreading. At first, you see nothing, but then your eyes adjust to the dark and you can see, make out the dim flicker of a torch. It is then that you notice that you are sitting on a body. <gasps> oh, dum bum bum! Quickly getting off what you assume to be a dwarf, you grab the nearby torch and examine the body. It turns out that it isn't a dwarf at all, but the body of a dead goblin, face down on the cabin floor. As surprising as this is, not to mention a bit puzzling, you are nonetheless relieved. Goblins have a reputation for being nasty and cruel creatures, so it's just as well you didn't meet one face to face. Where there is one, there are bound to be more. You can quickly arm yourself with a rusty short sword. Hmm. You better believe it's going to be a short sword. Write down rusty short sword. Okay, and uh, it and I get a b -b 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 plus four to damage, and it does one d six minus one, and then I get a plus three damage bonus. So not bad. Uh, so just as you are strapping up and around your waist, a rough guttural voice comes from the other side of the cavern. What's taking so long? We have to. The approaching speaker, another goblin, stops suddenly at the sight of you standing over his comrade, clearly not expecting to see what he's seeing. Human! The goblin's eyes dart back and forth from you, to the body on the ground, then finally your sword out of your side. <laughs> oh no, we stole, his, we stole his friend's ancient heirloom. His confusion turns to anger. Human! It yells while charging towards you with its axe raised and shield at the ready. You have no choice but to draw your own weapon and face the opponent in battle. Okay, so here's our first battle. So, uh, it's a goblin. His initiative is 0, hit points of 4, AC of 12, attack of 0, damage is 1d6. So if we, if we survive, turn to 9. So, I'm just going to use 2d6s instead of the d10s. Um, so I'll be the white dice, black dice. So I get a dexterity bonus initiative of plus 1. So I get a 3. And he also gets a 3. So, I'm not really sure. I'm just going to re-roll that. Because I should use a d10. Alright, so I get a... Ooh, I get a two. Oh, so he goes first. So he will roll attack plus zero, and he has to get above 11. And he gets a one, so he fails. So now it's my turn. I'm going to attack. And I have to get above a 12, which I do. I get a 16, so then I roll a d6, minus one, plus three. So that's six, nine, minus one, eight. He has four hit points. I grab him by the back of the head and I ram my short sword down his filthy goblin throat until the gurgling stops, which is quite quick because I buried all the way to the hilt. All right, so I survive quite handily murdering that guy. So turn to page nine. All right, worried that, that there could be more goblins nearby that heard the fight, you quickly grab your opponent's wooden shield, plus one to AC. So, all right, so wood shield. Man, I am just getting it all over today. So wood shield uh, and hand axe, which is 1d6. Woo, so hand axe. All right, so plus four, and then just 1d6 plus three. Well, I'll keep the short sword, just in case. Uh, 
which looked better shaped than your sword you were using. Aside from the tattered clothes, ne uh, neither goblin appears to have anything else of value. You look around the cavern reveals to be exactly what it smells like. <laughs> the local toilet. Wow. Okay, uh, but but for goblins, something definitely doesn't make s not make sense. So cautiously wandering out of the cave, you find yourself in a straight tunnel that looks like it has been carved from a mountain rock. You strain your eyes and ears, trying to notice if there's anything moving at either end of the corridor. But there's only quiet darkness as far as you can tell. Encountering those goblins has dampened your adventurer's spirit a little, and right now you are in no shape to face many more of them. Since going back out the way you came is not an option, you must decide which way you will lead to your freedom. If you go down the corridor, turn to page 15. If you, if, you go down the, if you go down the right corridor, 15. If you go down the left corridor, turn to page 16. <sighs> okay, let's go down the left corridor. Uh, turn to page 16. Okay. So, also, I will let you know that uh, this... I have all three of these things, so I'm hopefully that Fred the Mighty will make it past this one, and we'll get to go to the next adventure and the next adventure. And hopefully he doesn't die horribly in this one, and then that will kind of be the, uh, uh, you know, the end. <laughs> so, as you travel further down the corridor, and further away from the terrible smell, the tunnel opens to a new area that looks like what you were expecting to find. Building facades with upper balconies are evident on either side of you. Everything having been carved from cavern rock. Oh, you found it, all right. While the carving isn't as fancy as you would have thought, having heard uh, stories about the legendary masonry skill of these underground people is definitely a far cry from what any goblin or even human could do. You're beginning to doubt whether or not this actually was a lost city of dwarves. And while you expected the city to be more extravagant as opposed to the simplistic stonework of these buildings, there is still no question as to what you have found. In fact, you become so distracted by looking at the buildings you don't Watch where you're walking. Roll for surprise. Oh, you bugger. All right, so I roll a d6, and on 1 to 2, I'm not surprised, and on a 4, 5, 6, I am. So it's just kind of a, a numbers game here. I'm surprised. So uh, roll surprise. If you exceed turn page, if you fail, turn to page 27. So I totally fail, so we go to 27. Uh, da, 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 26, 27, okay. You're so busy looking at the dorm buildings, you didn't see the thin, shiny string that was stretched across the entire street. While you're looking down to see what your right foot is caught on, a giant spider drops down from the floor above. Thudsicle. Uh, all giant spider venom damages your hit points and dexterity by uh, by one, unless you resist when making a constitutional total more. Uh, when your dexterity is reduced to zero, you have been paralyzed, and your adventure is probably over unless specified otherwise. Yeah, because that spider's gonna eat me. Alright, so, um, both roll initiatives. I'll roll this. I get a four. He gets a three, so I get to go first. So, he gets an AC of 13, and I get to attack him. I am totally gonna use the hand axe, by the way. Uh, oh, that's totally happening. With a 21, uh, I'm going to take my d6, and uh, I get a 4, plus 3 is 7. I kill him. I just totally like, I like, ah, and I just hit him in the face with the, 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 the front of, uh, uh, you know, the hand axe and butcher his face off. Uh, so, yeah, so he's totally, totally dead. Uh, and we get to turn to page 19 because we survived. Uh, so let's go to page 19. Hopefully we get some type of cool stuff from this. Uh, probably not, though. Uh, still clutching your weapon tight, you make sure the spider isn't getting back up before picking up your torch 
to get a better look at it. With fangs the size of daggers and eyes as big as your face. Oh my goodness, this is, like, this is a big spider. You don't think anyone would believe your story if you didn't bring back proof. As much as you hate to do it, you crouch down on the spider's head and slowly pull out your hunting knife to cut one of the fangs for a souvenir. Instinctively, holding your breath, afraid to make the slightest noise in case you somehow wake it up, you bring the blade close to start the butcher's job. Then the silence is broken. Careful, topsider. <gasps> the voice isn't loud, but you still jump up and spin around, knife raised to defend yourself. The figure that appears of nowhere slowly backs away with his hands raised in defense. Easy there, topsider. Don't start something you will get later. He then calmly lowers his hand to rest them on a weapon at his side, a large broadsword and an impressive axe. It is then, as you start to calm down, you realize you are finally looking at a real-life dwarf with a copper beard, hair pulled in a top knot, and wearing light armor. Again, not what you're expecting to find according to the stories that you've heard. But you've been starting to wonder if anything you've heard about the dwarves and the city is true. As you try to act like he didn't scare you just now, the dwarf slowly walks around the dead spider and stoops down to pull something out of the creature's abdomen. After carefully wiping it clean on his pants, he tosses you a fancy jeweled dagger. Okay, hold on. So, fancy jeweled dagger. You get a plus four, and what is it? 1d3 plus one? Plus one, and a plus three. Okay. That will probably make a nicer souvenir, he tells you while effortlessly dragging the giant spider in one of the nearby buildings. As long as they don't know where it is, they'll send more time looking for it and less time looking for me. You realize that they are the goblins, but you still have no idea what is going on. And before you can even ask the dwarf a single, uh, as the, as the dwarf, uh, start over again. Before you, uh, before, my goodness, I'm, I, why can't I put your sentence? We're going to start this paragraph over again. As long as they don't know where it is, they'll spend more time looking for you and less time looking for me. You realize that they are the goblins, but you still have no idea what is going on. And before you can even ask a single question, the dwarf simply motions you to follow him so you to walk off into the shadows. Turn to page 22. Okay, 22. While following the dwarf, presumably back to his hideout, he keeps looking back in your direction. You can tell he wants to say something, but chooses not to, and simply holds out his hand as if to silence you, except you haven't said a thing since you finally met him. Finally, he stops and turns around. Could you quit stomping around like a mammoth? It was more of a challenge than a question. As he walked off again, he realized what has struck you as odd. This is quite possibly the quietest dwarf you've ever heard of. and all the stories, they are loud, robust, jovial warriors with big beards and even bigger weapons. They favor for heavy armors, legendary. You never have them described as being quiet. Yet here you are, following the first dwarf you ever met, and you can't even hear his feet touching the stone as he walks a few feet in front of you, his armor is sparse and the point of being non-existent, and his weapon, though impressive, doesn't even compare to the enormous constructs you've seen in pictures. Your train of thought is broken when you turn down an alley and stoop in front of a seemingly blank wall. Without even looking, he pushes a simple stone and slides a hidden switch. With the guides open the door the, that you would never have known was there before. After directing you up with some stairs, he secures the door and follows you up to a large, furnished yet windowless room. Piles of armor and weapons are somewhat organized in corners, and he offers a seat before plopping down on the couch. Now, what are the world are you doing down here? I'm kind of butchering this accent, uh, but it's only going to get worse, folks. You start to figure out the best way to answer him, but instead you just he just keeps on talking. That was brilliant what you did uh, with the rocks, by the way. Now just look at him blankly. I like how you lured the goblin over with a little stone before smacking him with the big one. Uh, he never knew it hit him. 
that solved the mystery of the goblin lying face down in the poop cave. <laughs> but you don't have the heart to tell him it was all an accident. He looks at you suspiciously now. You did do that on purpose, right? You quickly change the subject by asking him his name, hoping to get a better idea of what's going on down here. My name? Hmm. I haven't needed a name for one of those in years. He goes off into deep thought as trying to recall the last time anybody ever used his name. But I guess you can call me Treader. Okay. Put his name down here. Treader. Treader Dwarf. So Treader. That's what the others used to call me. You ask about the others before you can stop yourself, realizing too late that he already knows the answer. Where are they, he asked back? They're gone. Wiped out by the goblins. A few of us kids hid out here, fighting back whenever we could. But even they got taken in the end. There's a sad pause that Treader speaks once more. I'm the only one left. It is then you realize that Treader doesn't act like a dwarf because he wasn't raised a dwarf. He was only raised to survive. Hmm. You spend the next while carefully finding out what exactly happened to the dwarven city without getting Treader too upset. It turns out that this is the cavern where dwarf kids play and practice their stone-cutting skills, just as some human kids build tree forts and play good guys versus bad guys. Dwarven kids carve stone forts and play boys versus girls. Whichever team finds the other team's hidden fort wins the game. Treader and his friends were doing just uh, when the goblin army invaded and took over the city. He and his friends fought back, of course using their hidden force to escape the attackers, but eventually they all were caught one by one over the years. And now that you have a full story of why the George has appeared, you point blankly ask Treader why he doesn't just leave. Can't, he replies flatly, followed by a long yawn. There's no way out. Dumbfounded by what he just said, you want to ask more, but your new friend has rolled over and gone to sleep. It seems like a good idea to you. Perhaps, after some rest, he'll be more talkative. Turn to page three. Okay. After some sleep and a meal of uh, stolen goblin rations, sweet, you ask Treader once again why there is no way out of the city. He looks at you with a hint of impatience as he puts on a different set of armor and a light helmet because the goblins set up their base camp in the main gatehouse, and even I can't sneak my way past the hundreds of goblins and hobgoblins, not to mention the battle trolls. Oh, that's not good. He changed his helmet one more time before seeming to be satisfied with his new outfit. He catches you watching him and explains, if I look different every day, then they won't know exactly how many of us are down here. Before you can point out uh, that only seeing one dwarf at a time might trip them off, Treader says. Goblins are stupid. By this point, it's hard to tell if you're still part of the conversation or he's just talking to himself. He's gone nuts. It's like that scene in uh, um, um, I Am Legend with Will Smith when like he's you know gone nuts after not seeing anybody and he's talking to himself. And then when like he kind of meets people, it's super awkward and he doesn't like doesn't know how to communicate anymore okay so while still not convinced uh that you are stuck here for the rest of your life you decide to change the topic for now and ask what today's plan is the plan he asked back if there's some rhetorical question the same has always been we keep them busy until the big one hits you aren't sh- <laughs> the okay you aren't sure what concerns you more that he referred to himself as we or the big one uh that he just mentioned it's going to be soon, I can feel it. Again, something about your expression prompts Trader to elaborate. The shake, the big one. You really can feel it. You start to worry that if you don't agree with something he says soon, then your new friend might be a get irate. All right, um, Trader starts to look around the room and discard bits of armor while continuing to talk. You can't stay here all day, but you certainly won't survive out there dressed like that. He continues to mutter while holding up a bit of armor after that. Humans are shaped so strangely. 
Treasure finally gives you a studded leather armor tunic with matching cap, plus two AC, and lets you choose a metal shield for yourself, plus two AC. Okay, so, oh, I'm, I am getting upgraded. Okay, so we're gonna get a, what is it? So like, so like, a basically like leather armor with a plus two, and then a metal shield. And that gets a plus one. So that is, that is a, ooh, that's a 14. I'm, you know, I'm getting there. I'm getting there, folks. So we got a 14 AC. Uh, uh, and lets you choose a metal shield. After taking away the wooden one you had, might need some firewood later, he says under his breath. Make it clear what he thinks of the goblin-made item. Okay. All right, well, I'll get rid of the shield. Now, I could take you to the gatehouse so you can see the goblin camp for yourself. Or we can go where the big one is going to happen. But sooner or later, we're also going to need to get you some potions. I don't think you're up for a goblin raid just yet. But if you're handy with that bow, then I think I know some place to go. Let's see about getting some potions. Because that seems like a really good idea to get me equipped up. So we go to 17. We can get some potions. Okay. <laughs> I'm afraid the money's going to get... It's like pit my character this is great uh as you follow along anxiously looking around for any signs of trouble treddy tries to put your mind at ease there isn't anything to worry about here the goblins are afraid to come this way and i haven't bought any new spiders in here since the last one you saw you look at look at him to make sure you heard correctly and he laughs that's right the only reason the spiders are here is because i lure them in from a nearby cavern nothing keeps the goblins busy like a giant creepy crawly that wants to make them a next meal you just shake your head and wonder out loud how many times uh, that has gone wrong for him. Just once, actually, in his reply, as a, t as, uh, as a tunnel you are in opens up into a small cavern, he puts his hand out to stop you. We're here. At first you see nothing unusual, but then you notice the thin, silvery threads that crisscross the space ahead of you. Hundreds of silk trigger lines that, could possibly, uh, that couldn't possibly be avoided no matter how hard you tried. You dim the lantern, strain your eyes to locate the spiders that set these out, but to no avail. Look behind you. There is a, a touch of humor in Trevor's voice, so you look back. Then, up at the top of the cavern ceiling, you see the largest mass of webs that you've ever seen possible. If you kept on walking forward and triggered those thin webs, then whatever made the nest would have dropped down to cut you off your only escape route. Ooh. The, big brute, the big brute ended up, uh, up in here a while ago. I think the smaller spiders that I had lured in here was going to be her next meal, so she followed along. What a calamity that was. I managed to hide when I realized what happened, but the next goblin patrol led her right back to the gatehouse. I hadn't heard such a racket uh, since when I had been invasion started. They finally managed to chase her out, of, uh, out, and she ended up here, living off whatever straightened the webs. After staring up and admiring the tunnel-sized opening that leads into a much larger nest of webs, you ask Treader exactly why he has brought you here. <laughs> that is a good question. Well, every once in a while, the biggest hobgoblin get into some sort of leadership quarrel about which of them is the toughest or the strongest or whatever. When that happens, a group of them always ends up here. I don't know what they uh, used to do to settle things before, but now it's a race across the cavern to the far wall and back, with the first one being the winner. You can only imagine the mayhem as a group of crazy hobgoblins race the, uh, that triggers treads of enormous, uh, the enormous spider and tries to catch them like flies. As interesting as the story was, you still don't know why you're here. <laughs> okay. I hung around the last time this happened and watched the spider as she tidied up her new catches. While she usually just leaves them in the web after wrapping them up, um, and he paused while pointing out in the cocoons that are scattered on the web, sometimes she takes them up, and if they sound just right, you look, uh, you look at confusion prompts them to elaborate further. The ones that jingle or clink uh, while she wraps them up are taken to her nest. 
I don't know why, but my theory is that those ones will have the potions, if not more. Your eyes widen when you hear that this is the only theory, and Tritter tries to be reassuring. Uh, they're usually the biggest victims, so it only makes sense that they would have the good stuff, right? Your lack of argument brings the conclusion to this desperate plan. This seems like a really bad idea. So you're just going to shoot at those cocoons to draw her out. And I'll sneak in to see what I can find. He says it with such a matter-of-fact tone that you just think you are planning on outsmarting the village idiot. Just keep her busy for as long as you can. That way I can get more stuff. And with that, Treasure climbs the cavern wall until he's under the nest. Man, this seems like a bad idea. But his foot catches him with webbing and alerts a spider inside. Right away, she emerges to investigate the disturbance. And you are looking at a creature that would barely be able to squeeze through the tunnel that you walk through to get here. Ugh. You quickly notch an arrow and aim for the furthest cocoon before the spider has a chance to notice your friend. Ooh, oh, we got a little game here. Oh, this is interesting. Okay, so to hit a cocoon with an arrow, you only need to hit an AC 10. Each time you succeed, the spider will hurry to the cocoon and give Treader time to search for treasure. Cross off the webs below to keep track of how many you hit. However, each time you miss a cocoon, there is a chance that the spider will notice you and figure out what you're up to. Put a check mark beside the spider each time you miss an AC of 10. For every cocoon that you hit, Treader will find one extra item in the nest. But after missing three times or after six rounds, you will need to abandon your plan and make a run for risk of being the spider's next meal. Oh, this is interesting. Oh, we got a little, like, mini game here. Okay. So, he's going after this thing, he's looting it, I get out, so I notch an arrow, and I get a, what, a plus one, so, ten, I miss, so, alright, miss a spider, um, shoot another one, uh, ten, I hit, so I hit, I'm actually, I'm gonna, I'm gonna write this down, so, so we got like, so we got like, spider, and then we got like, webs, so one spider, one web. All right, shoot again. That hits. That hits a, a webbing. Hit another thing. Spider goes crawling after it. We're what's going on. All right, get another hit. Ooh, that's a spider miss. Quit the miss. Ooh, 50-50. All right, another shot. A 20. Hit it right dead in the thing. Probably burst open some kind of abdomen full of juices. All right, so... uh. Uh, six rounds, so, oh, this will be the last, uh, so, if miss three times, or just six rounds, add up your hits, alright, so, and the last one hits, so I got four hits, two misses, uh, turn to page 28, alright, so we need to get, we need to get the hell out of Dodge, because that thing is huge, uh, you give Treader the signal, it's time to go, and he hurries down from the spider's nest faster than you thought a dwarf could move, back in the safety of his secret hider, you look over the items he managed to get, roll on the chart below, and each time you hit a cocoon, uh, plus two. This represents the total number of items uh, that Treader was able to find. So four plus two is six. That's pretty sweet. Okay, so roll three d6 uh, and find out what he finds. Okay, so this is actually really cool. I, you know, I am really digging this because unlike, because uh, I feel like this is like a natural, like, we're going to beef you up. We're going to do it, like, really naturally and give you cool stuff instead of just being like, oh, dropped you off here. Do you want to go to the left hallway or the right hallway? You go to the left hallway. Oh, uh, block crushes you, you die. The end. Like my, like that, that the freaking Gorgon who, who, who petrified, like, you know, my entire family of, uh, 
uh, Trolls, I believe it was, which I don't know if they'll ever get posted, but uh, yeah, it was a massacre. All right, so we get to roll six times. So first time, 3d6. It is a 13. Potion of Giant Strength. Ooh, okay. Potion of Giant Strength. What does it do? Potion of Giant Strength. Gains plus five to hit and damage immediately and thrown weapons. Ooh. It's five to hit and damage. My, that, that's that's a ruthless potion. All right, roll again. Uh, so that's 12, 13. Uh, that's a that that that's that's all right times two. I got another potion of giant strength. For the mighty could get all buffed up. Uh, nine ten, potion of extra healing. Ooh, potion of extra healing, and that heals three d six plus nine hit points. My goodness. Ooh, all right. Let's try it again. That is a 13. Oh, my goodness. That is three potions of giant strength. I mean, sure. Why not? And that is a 10. Potion of extra healing times two. All right. Well, I mean, this is interesting. So that's three, five. So I get one more. One more roll. So seven. Potion of regeneration. Every single meal round, even plus zero points. Ooh, that's a good one. Okay, potion of regen. Uh, I get I get three HP every round. Ooh, that's that's pretty good. Um, ooh, there's also some really sweet like magical stuff here. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Uh, but I, I mainly got uh some uh. Oh my goodness, there's some awesome stuff in here. But uh, I just got the potions I got, so I'll take those potions, um, which uh, make me... Uh, uh, all the energy found in the character... Okay, hold on a second. Da, 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 da. Let's do one more energy found. Okay, so it's a bunch of potions, two, three potions of giant strength, two potions of extra healing, and one potion of regeneration. After recording all the items you found in your character sheet, proceed with the next part of the adventure. If you want to go to the goblin camp, uh, if you have done all of these turn one let's go to the big one whatever the hell that is turn to page 11 okay uh da, 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 da. okay to get to the big one treader leads you because i want to find out what the hell this is lead you deep into the kid's cavern as you decide to call this place as far away from the goblin camp eventually stops seemingly in the middle of nowhere and crouches down and touch the ground here this is where you can feel it best you hear him by doing the same, but you have to admit that it just feels like cold stone to you. <laughs> After a moment looking at you silently, the dwarf does his best to explain. Dwarfs have a certain way of feeling stone. We just don't feel the surface, we feel what's in the stones as well. Some of us can feel deeper than others, and I can feel real deep. Alright. You wait to see if his explanation is going to be followed by its own explanation, so he stands up quickly and paces back and forth, trying hard to give you a better example. He finally stops and grabs one of your arrows. Take this and bend it as far as you can without completely breaking it. Hate to waste a pretty good arrow, but you can also see how important this is to Treader. Taking both hands, you bend the shaft until you hear the familiar crick of wood starting to splinter. That's it, he asked. You can't bend it any further. You try and manage to bend it a little more before it goes quick, quick. Treader just looks at you and gives you, go on, look, and you bend it a little further, quick, and now the wood is starting to splinter and bend. You're sure that if you push any further, the arrow will break. Aha, you see? 
He gently runs his finger along the tiny strands of wood that are protruding from the otherwise smooth surface of the arching arrow. This is how the ground feels to me, right here. And he drops down to pat the cabin floor. Not so much by the gatehouse, or even or by the cavern he came in, but right here. Then he stands up in the place, one finger on each of her hands, and gently pushes the arrow ever so slightly, then... And it's going to be big! Snap! And even through your experience the arrow to break, it still startles you a bit, and you think you finally understand. Then the door quietly points straight up. Can you see it there? And you take a moment to focus in the dark, but eventually you see the cavern ceiling completely covered in jagged stalactites. Looking down, you see the size of Treader's face. It's a little bit creepy, if not scary, and you realize the full scope of this event. Treader intends to lure the goblins here when the earthquake hits, bring down the entire cavern down on everybody. It will come down like the jaws of the mighty stone dragon, and my people will be avenged. All right, so, all right, so now we get the whole, like, Treader is like a murderous, like, everybody has to die. Goblin Holocaust. It will come down like the jaws of a mighty stone dragon. And with that, he, he quietly walks off to your next destination with you following behind. Um, uh, so we already got potions. Uh, let's go to the goblin camp. So 24. Okay, 24. Uh, venturing the goblin territory is a risky business, but the treader shows you how to avoid the patrols by properly covering your lantern and with your shield. Soon you are climbing a hidden ladder in a secret passage that leads out into a small high ledge. From there you can look out over the entire gatehouse, which is hard as a feet across with an arching ceiling that towers high above most trees. Hmm. Is a true testament to the dwarven craftsmanship that you have heard so much about. The countless goblins and hobgoblins milling about, ooh, I don't like that, about uh, among the large bonfires look like mere bugs in the floor compared to the structure splendor. Ornate pillars and buttresses dominate the space as it hardly looks like a cavern at all. Decorative archways and thresholds lead to antechambers that have been carved out of natural cavern walls. The most impressive of all is the towering twin gates that stand directly opposite from where you are hiding. Built from the timber so massive that each must have hewn from a single ancient tree. These easily weigh a ton apiece. And the decorative iron bindings that hold the gates together look like they are made from enough metal to outfit an entire army. Above the gates, embedded in the wall, is a magnificent symbol of a battle axe made entirely of deep blue gemstones. Ooh. Though dwarfed by the gates, the symbol itself is the size of a small house with enough gemstones to make a king's ransom. You aren't sure how long you lay on that ledge, taking in the full grandeur of the place but treader finally whispers to break you out of your trance that's the symbol of the broad axe clan they built this part of the city each clan is responsible for different areas and they put their symbol above the gates as a signature i remember as a kid it was always a big affair when the gates were open trumpets drums banners of silk and gold not to mention all the cheering it was a big deal back then they took forever to open too it took a lot of strong drawers just to operate each uh windlass up in the winter room he finishes his story by pointing to a room just above the gates. You wonder out loud if it would be possible to slip out without the goblins opening the gates. They can't open them, Treader states matter-of-factly. I wrecked everything in that room. His triumphant smile hints uh, that some sort of congratula <laughs> congratulations are in order. But you <laughs> So basically he's like he's like if he's like if these goblins and he breaks everything because nobody leaves. But you instead find yourself at a loss for words. The Dwarven Gal then turns back to the ground uh level and you begrudgingly follow after him. Okay. If you've done all these go to go go to one. Alright, so we've done everything. We go to one. Da -da -da -da. Okay. 
Okay, now that you have a better idea of what exactly is going on in this Jordan city, and you equip yourself with some new gear, Treader is ready to carry out his final plan for the big one. <laughs> okay, not much time now, I can feel it. Okay, so you crazy dwarven friend. While he's been saying that since you met him, this is the first time you've seen the dwarf this anxious as he paces back and forth while explaining the plan. Alright, remember how to get up to that ledge uh, overlooking the gatehouse? I need you to go up there. <laughs> uh, directly beneath you will find the doorway to the guard room where the battle horns are kept. We need to sneak in there and grab the biggest horn you can find. Then meet me back here. I'm going to find the biggest spider. I can lure it to the goblins. It won't take them long to deal with it, but it will cause a diversion we need to get the horn to slip out. Wear this cloak and stay close to the walls, and you shouldn't have any problems. Got it? While you uh, want to ask why a horn is so important to this plan of his, you decide it's best just to nod your head and get this over with. Going back to the gatehouse ledge uh, on your own is a little scary, but you manage to do it without running into any trouble. In fact, you don't see any goblins at all along the way, and once you make it to the stone lookout, you understand why all the goblins are collected here for some kind of meeting. And when you can't understand what's being said, you do understand what is happening. Over half the army is being moved to a different part of the city, away from the gatehouse and away from Treader's plan. Well, this will make your job easier, you're not sure how your dwarven friend will feel about it. By the time the spider decoy arrives, the army has been divided, but there are still plenty of goblins left to make your job difficult. The alarm is sounded, and a group is ordered to deal with the intruders while many others leave their post to watch the action. Deciding that now is a good time as any, you make your way down to the guardroom. If you have your rope, turn to page 5. Boom! I got my rope, yo! Otherwise, you must turn to page 12 to climb down. I got my rope. We go to page 5. I knew it would come in handy. You quickly slide down your rope to the floor below and slip into the guard room as the commotion. Unfortunately, one hobgoblin did not abandon his post to watch the spider fight, and he stands between you and the battle horns on the far wall. While surprised by your sudden appearance, he grips his large axe in both hands and charges at you with a roar. Roar! Well, it's time to get. It's time. It's time to get. You know what? You know what? Sc screw it. I'm drinking uh, one of my potions. So, uh, large Jack charged with Roar. So, page five. Now, I can forfeit my first action, but I don't know if I want to do that, though. Ooh. Uh, let's see. Attack plus one, AC 14. My AC is also 14. Uh, uh, well, you surprised us in appearance. He was our jack, both charged with roar. Uh, I mean, let's. I want to check something about the potions. So, with the potion, with the with the potions, to make sure that I can actually drink it. So, um, okay, let's see. Okay, just before a battle, if you want initiative, you want to forfeit your burst to actually drink a potion. Want to give a range attack or perform a sneak attack? Okay, so if I if I win initiative, I can drink a potion. All right, so I am gonna roll first. D six, four. He's gonna roll one, seven. He goes first. F this. All right, so he's gonna attack me. Um, he gets a plus one. He's gotta get up a fourteen, and he does. And he is going to uh, a D six plus one damage. So he gets four damage to me. I am at. Ooh, I'm at seven hit points. Okay. Ooh, that's not good. So if he does max damage to me, I'm fudged. But now I get to attack. Um, so roll a d6, d12. Oh, and I miss him. Whew. 
Swing and a miss. All right, now we're going to roll for initiative again. Uh, D20, I get a six. Ooh, and no, I get a six, he gets a seven. No, no, we both get sixes. Okay, so we roll again. So I'll roll this. I get a two. He gets a one. Fuck that hobgoblin. All right, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I am going to... Because I don't want to die. Um, do I go big? Do I do I do I chug a potion of giant strength? No, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna chug the regen potion. So I get three hit points immediately. So I go back up to ten. Okay, and now he gets to attack me because I chug the potion. He hits like a like a like a punk. And he does two damage, so it goes up to I get I have eight hit points now. All right, so then we re-roll for initiative. We're clashing. I max it out. I get a seven, so I get to go first. And now it's my turn. I'm gonna jab this. Uh, what do I got here? This hand axe. I'm gonna just, just, just do nothing because I rolled a one. All right, and he attacks me, and he hits, and he does three, uh, four. Oh, the four. So I get four hit points, but then I go back up to seven because uh, I get the potion of regeneration. That sucks. All right, so reroll for initiative. I get a five. He also gets a five. I get a seven. He gets a six. Screw this goblin. Now I attack. I get a 15. I hit. Roll a d6 plus three or four. That is... uh nine damage so he has six hit points so i you know i just like kind of grab you know it just like grab his side and just like hack at his face until like it's just you know just hamburger and drop down so then basically my hit points go back up to 12 because i got the potion regeneration all right now with potions interesting thing so so i did the potion so potion duration so if i roll a one it wears off but if i roll anything else it doesn't Damn it! Damn it! All right. Uh, oh, that makes me so mad. Damn it! All right. So there goes my potion of regeneration. But you know, it it did its job. It kept me from not dying when I fought the hobgoblin. I don't. I, that makes me so upset that that potion is gone. Oh my goodness! All right. So let's go back to twenty six where it told me to go after I defeat the hobgoblin. So, so. You grab the biggest horn you could find, pull the hood of your cloak over your head, and stick close to the wall like Trevor told you to. The goblins are putting on quite a show with the spider, so nobody sees you leave the gatehouse and turn the corner. You take one look back to make sure no one's following you, and that's when you run right into a goblin. He is such a panic that he almost passes you by after bumping into you, but at the sight of your human face, he grabs your weapon and attacks. Uh, Alright, so now we go, we're having a goblin attack again. Uh, so, let's see. So I get a 5... He also gets a five. You know what? I'm gonna roll, I'm gonna start rolling d10, so we just have like less of this happening. I thought it'd be easier to roll d6s, but obviously it's becoming a problem because we're always rolling the same number. So I'm gonna roll. I get a four, and he gets a six. So he goes first. So he gets to attack me, and he's got to get above a fourteen, which he doesn't. And then I'm gonna attack him, which, you know. I don't hit either because he both rolled a two because we're both, I don't know, frightened of each other, I guess. So I'm going to roll a, ooh, I got max. So I go first, and it's time to put an end to this goblin. 
Roll the one. All right, he attacks me, and uh, he misses because he's 11. I have 14. So initiative again. Three. And he gets to go first this time. And he misses with a two because he's just a goblin. And I get a 17, and it's time to end this. Three plus three is six. He has four hit points. Uh, I decapitate him. And after us kind of like dancing around and clanging swords a little bit, and he's like, meh, they just, just chop his head off. All right, turn to page 20. Uh, da, 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 da. Thankfully, the fight in the gatehouse is so loud that no one hears your scuffle with the goblin. Continue on your way, but only after a short walk you find what the goblin was in such a panic about. There's a second giant spider loose is coming right after you? What? No! No, 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 no. <sighs> this is this is terrible. All right, so, uh, all right, okay, let's see. All right, so I go first. I max out. He gets a six, so I get to attack first. He has an AC of thirteen, which I hit barely with a fourteen. So a D six plus three. D six plus three is seven, and I and I you know I I go with the same thing. Fred the Mighty is, you know, he's, you know, he's a good fighter. He's not really innovative, you know. He's a very, like, you know, like, just, you know, put sword into monster. So he does the same thing he did before and just, like, hacks at its face until, like, it's just a, just nothing left. Just a big open wound. He just drops down. So if you survive the fight, turn to two. But if the spider defeats you, turn to eight. No, we defeat the spider. Fred the Mighty is a great spider killer. Okay. Finally make it back to the secret hideout. You asked Treader about this sudden change in plans. Sorry about that, he apologized. I wasn't planning to bring two spiders back. It just happened that way. To show him there are no hard feelings about it, you present him with the battle horn and ask if it's big enough. His eyes immediately light up. It's perfect. He takes in his hand and for a split second it seems that all is forgotten about the catastrophe he is about to strike this cavern. Then he looks at you and gives you the explanation you've been waiting for. Goblins can't turn down a challenge no matter how hard they try. It's... Like it makes them crazy somehow. So when I blow this dwarven horn, all here it will know that someone is calling them to battle. And what will they do? Whatever. Okay. And they will do whatever they can to answer the challenge. Treader sees the look of worry in your eye and does his best to assure you. There's a tower where I can blow this from. It will make. It will take them a while to get me in there if they survive that long. As much as you want to talk him out of his daring scheme, this is like a suicide mission, my goodness. You can see how important it is for him to avenge his people. Before you can decide about whether or not you should tell Treader about his goblins that left the gatehouse, your time has run out. Doors eyes widen with awareness, and you can tell that his moment has arrived. It's happening! I have to go! And he runs out of his place he showed you earlier. Uh, Treader calls back to you, Get to the gatehouse! They'll be the safest place to be! As he disappears in the darkness, you see him raise his horn above his head. Thank you, my friend! Goodbye! You know what? If anything has taught me about various things about revenge and, like, you know, like, suicide revenge things is, you know, revenge never really satisfies. You're never going to get enough revenge, you know? You're always going to want more. You're never going to want to satisfy. That's always say you need to, like, forgive your enemies and not, like, just be a revenge murder hobo like the Punisher. So, all right. Torn between survival and loyalty to a friend, you never thought that running for the gatehouse would have been such a difficult choice to make, and you make it just in time. By the time you get there, you find goblins still in a frenzy over the recent spider attack, and you worry that you won't hear the horn blowing. You have to strain your own ears to hear the first trump, and for some reason your heart fills with pride as the sound repeats over and over again. 
Your fears are soon set to rest when the first goblin stops and turns its head, and another one does the same, and soon they have all forgotten about the spider, and are in a mad rush to answer the call of the treader's battle horn. They thunder past the hiding place, shaking the ground as they pass, but then you realize that it isn't them shaking the ground quake. Once, you have all Once they have all passed you, oblivious to the threat that they are charging towards, you look around for the best place to ride out this disaster. Without knowing why, you ride up the stairs in Winch House above the outer gates. Perhaps near the giant blue axe gives you a sense of security. The shaking gets so hard that you can barely make it on top of the stairs, and that's when you dive for cover under a broken uh, windlass, and you hear a mighty crack. Turn to page 29. Uh-oh. Doesn't look good for the dwarves. All is in darkness. Then you realize that you've had your eyes shut tight since you heard the shattering crack. So you open them and look around. A few of the bonfires managed to stay lit despite the showering of rubble and debris that came down. And aside from the gaping crack in the gatehouse ceiling, everything else seems pretty much intact. The kid's cavern, however, is quite the opposite. Even from the entrance, you can tell this area was hit with the hardest during the quake. At first, there was only rubble and large rocks all over the ground, but the deeper you go, the bigger the debris gets. By the time you get near to where Treader was blowing his horn, it looks as like if the entire mountain fell in on itself. If anybody could have survived being buried alive, it would be him. But one thing is for certain, you won't be leaving the same way you came in. Ooh, okay. Dun-dun-dun. Oh, what is this? What is this? Is this like a, is this like a little, uh, uh, like pro, like after log thing? Oh, what is this? What is this? What is this? What is this? Okay, so like, I think, I think this is where like his end. So like, he's like stuck in the mountain. And then so like, then it's like, flash forward. And then like, many miles away in the town of Mountain View. Are you sure that this thing is healthy? Asked the wizard as he lifts some heavy canvas to peer into the uh, caged wagon. He jumps back as a giant eagle's beak snaps in him from between the bars. Oh, it's healthy, all right. Don't worry about that, calls the heavy set man as he finishes hitching the horse to the wagon. There's nothing wrong with that griffin. He's, he's from the deep south. So you can pay up nice price. We agree on I'll find another buyer. He turns from the completed task only to see the young wizard now peeking through a hole in the covering. No, he sighs. There's no need for that. He reaches for his coin purse and gives a shrug. I was just hoping that it would be bigger. Bah! The large man roared, dropping both hands in a gesture of dismissal. Your generation has no idea why when I was your age, the wizard grits his teeth and prepares for the standard speech about the generation gap between adventurers these days. But something spares him as they both stop in mid-stride. Do, do you feel that? asks the wizard. I felt something, replies the heavyset man who quickly walks to his workshop. The young wizard follows and finds him standing at some strange apparatus on Storm's table. What's, what's, what is that? Well, begins the older man, apparently unsure of how to explain the contraption. That ball was balanced up on top, so if it fell in the direction and traveled that far in the sand, he hurries over to a collection of maps and unfolds uh, that depicts the immediate region, then completes the conversation with going back and forth between the map and the device. I guess... The tremors start about there. The wizard leans in close to exactly where the other map is pointing. Right there, are you sure? He asks in a serious tone. This is very important to me, so you have to be certain. Well, starts the other man, willing to look doubtful in, in the presence of youth. You have to understand that it's only a hobby, but sure, I'm sure. Why not? I mean, but before another word can be uttered, he has a full coin purse in his hand and the young adventurer heading out the door. Dum-dum-dum. Thank you. Keep the extra money. You've earned it. 
I'll need this map. I must be going now. I have days of preparation to make, and there's still one last part of incantation that's eluding me. Thank you, computer, for letting me know that the virus protection is up to date. The older man can only watch as young wizard vaults in the driver's seat and snaps the horse's reins. Tangent, wait, he calls after them. It's in the middle of nowhere. Nobody f uh, felt it but us. The only response is a wave from the driver of the uh, departed wagon. <laughs> Impetuous youth. How could a little quit like that make a difference to anyone? And with that, the old adventurer returns to his chores, unaware of the events he has just set into motion. Dum dum dum. Da -da -dum, dum. So that is the end of this adventure, because there's nothing more to that. So I guess so. It looks like I don't know who that was, but that's like maybe a prologue. Something's gonna happen in part two. But uh, Fred the Mighty's underground. He's got some sweet potions, some good stuff. Um, and his friend is probably dead, smushed by a giant rock, um, you know, like a car running over, like, a pop can or something, you know, squirt his dwarf skeleton all over the back wall or something. All right, so what did I think of this? Also, uh, in the back, there is a blank character sheet, and on the next page is a dwarven crossword puzzle, just in case you want to do some dwarven crossword puzzles, and a dwarven word search, just for a little bit of added fun. So... What I think about this, I like this a lot. I like this a lot for all the reasons I find that other modules and other solo RPGs have problems. Because I think there is this thing about like a module. It's like, well, we have to make it super tough and you have to be able to die all the time because we want you to have like replay value because we want you to play the same module like 50 times to be able to beat it because there's only like one certain way through it and you know, we want you to be able to do that. And it's like, well, that, that kind of sucks. Like I don't want to die 500 times um, looking for a Gorgon um, when I get petrified outside because I failed one saving throw because my character wasn't made to be that awesome. So, you know, it automatically fails. But this is did a very interesting, it kind of led you through the module and led you through different parts of it while kind of equipping you and things like that. It did a very good job. It was like a tutorial session, but a very, very good tutorial session. Like it kind of gave you some stuff, gave you some weapons, got you a chance to roll some potions, maybe you get some really cool magic items. You know, I got some potions. I would like to get a flaming sword, but you know, eh, beggars can't be choosers. So I really, th I really thought this was cool. I really like this. Oh, and also, of course... I'm going to ruin my rope because I don't got that no more. But I do got a bunch of stuff. And I think I'm going to play the rest of these two because Fred the Mighty is totally still alive. Totally still got 12 hit points. And totally got potions. And totally needs to get the hell out of this dwarven undercity. Uh, which has got like a dead rotting half a goblin army underneath a pile of rocks. So, what I think about this? Good. It's very good. Very, very good. Very fun. A lot of reading... Because um, most other uh, Choose Your Own Adventure stories are like a little paragraph, like two sentences. Like, you go here, open this room, fight this thing. You go here, do this. And they're very short. This is more lengthy, more story-ish, more um, associated with maybe some of like the older uh, like Choose Your Adventure books and less like the, the, the quick game books, which I kind of like. It was a, it was a bit of a, a change. So I think we'll put a cap in this, and I think we'll see Fred the Mighty uh, when he comes back uh, for part two, um, and hopefully um, he'll be able to find his way out to that uh, city um, with his, uh, you know, hand axe, uh, metal shield, and, uh, you know, 
three potions of giant strength. Oh, I'm going to chug that. I'm just going to just like rip a goblin in half. All right. So you've been listening to another fine We Hate Bars podcast. Have a good night, folks. <laughs>